You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Stephen Yi. Well, good morning, Northwest. <laughs> Can you hear me? All right. I just want to make sure. Uh, I am so happy to be here with all of you today. It, I don't take it for granted to wake up another day, to come together with my family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship our great, our perfect uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be here today. And, and I want you to know I'm thankful that you are here whether you're sitting here or whether you, you chose to join us online, thank you for being here and being a part of what God is doing in and through His people here at Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. Uh, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, did you know God is doing great things? I say it almost every week. Thank you. Yes, you guys say that because you know. You experience. You see God working all around. God is using each one of you and blessing us here at Northwest so that we can be a blessing to those, to the people around us. And just a couple examples. For those of you that get this publication from the Arizona Southern Baptists, the Portraits Magazine, you might recognize some of the people that are on the front cover. Now, this is not to brag. If anything, it's to brag about what God is doing and to give an example of the fact that God is blessing us so that we can be a blessing to other people. If you were to read this magazine and look, there's a copy out there in the lobby there in the narthex, or I'll, I'll put my copy out there too. It shares about how God is leading us to minister to the people that have moved into our Northwest neighborhood and how God is using us uh, to make disciples. And so I encourage you, uh, check it out when you have a chance. Uh, I also want to say thank you. Thank you to those of you who remembered to pray for us uh, this past week as a group of, of about 19 brothers and sisters in Christ here from Northwest Chinese Baptist Church uh, got together with 25 other brothers and sisters in Christ to go to uh, McNary, Arizona to share the gospel and to, to serve the people of the Native American Reservation there. Uh, thank you, all of you, dear church, for your support. Thank you for giving. Thank you for praying. Uh, so we had almost 50 missionaries, people from Texas, Illinois, Tucson, Arizona, Kansas, serving together to share the gospel with the people up there. And, and I want you to know God did amazing things. We had many, many, and I'm, I'm excited to share about it uh, later on in a, in a different week, a different Sunday, about all that God has done. But I want you to know, Right? God's word did not come back void. Children made decisions to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Testimonies were shared of how God had brought people through hardship and suffering and pain. There are examples all around us this past week, and that's just one week. How beautiful is it when we make God's mission our single focus when we depend fully on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to give us all that we need to do what He's called us to do, and how wonderful is it for us to see God do great things. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for all your support. Um, God is so good. 
And yet, uh, as I think about this past week, uh, I think about, well, actually, I also want to thank Brother Paul for sharing God's Word with us uh, last week. Uh, and uh, um, I'm sure all of you were blessed. Uh, but as I consider where I was last week, and uh, God reminded me uh, of this one thing. He reminded me of the fact that people need Jesus. If you didn't know that, dear friend, I, I want you to know that today. People need Jesus because there are broken and hurting people, not just outside these walls, but there are broken and hurting people right next to you. And I was reminded of that fact as I heard testimonies of the brokenness of our own missionary team. But I am encouraged. Not only is, is our world broken because of sin, not only do we experience pain and suffering and loss at every turn of life, at, around every corner, but in the midst of all of the sin and the brokenness, all the craziness of our world today, I also want you to know that we don't have to be discouraged, we don't have to lose heart, but we can take courage and we can have peace because we know that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And we know that our hope can be found in Jesus Christ alone. And I want you to know that this morning. Today, more than ever, we need transformation, don't we? You know, we can make laws, we can make policies, we can ask people to adopt this slogan or that slogan, but what we really need is a change of the heart, a transformation of all of who we are, our minds and our hearts. And that kind of transformation can only come when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, when somebody confesses Jesus as Lord and, and decides to put their trust in Him. Then and only then will we start to see real change, eternal change. Will we see places look more like heaven? And only when people start to put their trust in Jesus will we see people look more like Jesus. And see, in our passage today, we're, we're going back to our study through the Gospel of Mark. We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we've taken a couple breaks, but we're back at it today. And we're going to see uh, and read about the temple. The temple of God. You know, think back to the nation of Israel and how God instructed them to build the temple. And that's where His presence would represent, His presence would be. God once had a physical temple located in Jerusalem. But I want you to consider this. He now has a perfect temple located in heaven. And that temple is Jesus, as he himself said. You can look at that in John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. He now has a spiritual temple, which is the church, the body of Christ, which is, which is you and me, right? Followers of Jesus. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Now, he now has personal temples dispersed all around the world as witnesses of Jesus. Jesus, indeed, we need to understand that Jesus, indeed, is a Savior for all. We need to understand that, yes, just as he instructed the Israelites to build the temple back in the biblical times, he now, in Christ Jesus, calls each one of us the temple of God, right? God's temple is you and me. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. The temple has always been a place that represented God's presence with his people. But now, if you think about it, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, 
Where does God dwell? In each one of us that puts our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, see, if you were to look back uh, in the earlier chapters, before chapter 11, where we find ourselves today, in previous chapters we learned of of Jesus' triumphal entry, right, into Jerusalem. You see that at the beginning of chapter 11. He then went to to, uh, the temple in verse 11, which would was still being built and wouldn't be completely finished until about A.D. 64. But sadly, right, it would be totally destroyed just six years later. But here we are. We find ourselves in the spring of A.D. 33. Jesus looks around at everything that is going on. He looks at the temple, and guess, guess what? He didn't, like, he didn't like what he saw. He saw a people in a place that was meant to be a light to the nations, and yet it had become a den of thieves, a hideout for religious sinners. This place that was supposed to be set apart for God was poisoned with sin. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see how how Jesus responded to this sin from His very own people. How will Jesus respond to those who though received His grace and goodness, had failed in the assignment and the calling that He had given them. How does Jesus respond to us? I want you to think about it, dear church. How does Jesus respond to us today, the church, the people of God, when we are likewise disobedient? And I want you to know this. I, above all people, sin. I could be the worst of sinners. And so when I say sinners, I look at myself None of us are perfect. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And yes, people of God sin. Yet how does God respond to us? How is God going to respond here when he's looking at the temple that he instructed his people to build where, where it represented his presence with them, where it's a place of worship and to be set apart and to be holy Yet it's full of sin. How will God respond? And I want you to know this as we look at this passage This one truth I want you to meditate on as we study this section of Scripture. And that truth is this. Our sins are many, but God's mercy is more. I pray that you will see that, dear friend, as we study this passage. And I want to invite you to turn there. If you have your Bible, please open it up. I'm going to share it with you on the screen, but please open up your Bible. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. Our sins are many, but God's mercy is more. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father God, I praise you. God, I praise you because you are God Almighty. You are sovereign and perfect in every way. You are all-powerful and all-knowing. And God, I thank you that you have a plan. You plan for each of us. Some of us today may have come for what we think are, are various reasons, but God, I know that you have brought each one of us according to your perfect time, according to your perfect plans. And so, God, I thank you for that. I thank you, God, for your promises. I thank you for your word, your word that is truth, your promises that never fail. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your great love for us, that while we were still sinners, you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us so that we might have forgiveness of sin. 
And so God, as we gather together to worship you, as we gather together to seek your word and your wisdom, I pray, God, that as we study your word, you would give us wisdom. You would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to be able to understand your word and to also live it out. God, we ask for your help. I know that there's people today that are hurting. I know that there's people today that are looking for answers. God, I don't know what all of our issues are or all of our struggles are, but God, I know that you do. And God, I pray that each one of my friends here today, that we would choose today and every day to turn to you. That right now we would choose to focus in on your word because we know that these words are your very words to us. And so God, would you help us? And God, I pray that, that, you're, that you would be glorified, God, that Jesus that would be lifted up high, that all of us, God, would be f- attracted and, and drawn to you, that we would trust you, that you would grow our faith, that you would help us and equip us, that you would lead us and give us courage to keep moving forward, to do all the things that you've called us to do. So God, I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25, all right? Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. I want to read it out loud to you. Please follow along silently, and uh, I want to try something a little different today. I know some of you may be very tired, so I'm going to ask you to stand up as I read this section of God's Word. Would you just stand and and follow along silently as I read uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 25? The next day, as they were leaving Bethany... Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out from the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. God, thank you again for your word. God, help us to understand it. Help us to live based upon it. God, we ask for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
So as we look at this passage, right, uh, I want to share with you three observations, three truths. Uh, and we see here, the first thing that we see is that Jesus curses the hypocrites. We see that Jesus curses the hypocrites. And if you, you look at verses 12 through 14, and so picture this, right? The day after the triumphal entry to the city, right? Jesus visits the temple. Our Lord and the disciples, they leave Bethany and they head to the temple. And then what does it say? That's kind of interesting. Jesus gets hungry. That seems kind of random, but obviously we know that Jesus gets tired. He, he rests. He needs rest. He, he's fully human and he's fully God. And so here he chooses to tell us that he was hungry. Now, this is important because it does set the stage for, for a miracle that, that Jesus performs. And, and it's kind of controversial because a lot of people misunderstand it. But he, Jesus, what does he do? He curses this fig tree. And some people look at this passage and they think, wow, whoa, Jesus, you must be tired and hungry. You must be a little hangry. All right? You look at this fig tree that's, that looks fully healthy and, and, and full of leaves, and yet you're just hungry and you're walking by and you see that it doesn't have any fruit. Jesus, don't you know that it's not seasoned for figs? But yet, Jesus, you chose to kill it and curse it. You know, even a well-known atheist philosopher, Bertrand Russell, accused Jesus of vindictive fury on this fig tree and questioned the character of Christ in this situation. But I think if you really studied this passage and you understand, you, you will start to see that Jesus is not throwing a temper tantrum. I know temper tantrums full well because I throw them often. Not only that, but I have four children. We'll see, right? When you look at this passage, you see Jesus is doing what he has always done. His desire is to seek and to save who? The lost. That's his single mission. Well, his single mission is to glorify God and to do the will of the Father. But in doing the will of the Father, he came to seek and to save the lost. He mercifully desires to lead people to have a change of heart, to recognize their sin and their need for him to save them. Here we'll see an object lesson, an acted out parable of our Lord's judgment on Israel. And on those who claim to be one thing, but live like another. Those who put on a show and act like a Christian, but they do not produce any spiritual fruit. It's a curse on the temple and the nation of Israel. But I want us to think, as we look at Jesus cursing and condemning the nation of Israel for their sin, I want you, to, you and I to consider, could this be a curse on me? Could this be a curse on Northwest Chinese Baptist Church? Look at verses 12 through 13. We see that Jesus curses hypocrisy. All right, Jesus is hungry in verse 13. We know that. We read that. And though it's not in season, he looked at this fully healthy fig tree and yet it did not have any evidence of fruit. You know, maybe it should have had something, some buds starting to grow or some little berries starting to form, but the tree had nothing. 
It was not bearing a single thing. It was a hypocritical fig tree. Have you ever seen one? It's leaves, right? By the outside, it promised one thing, but it didn't produce a single thing. And sadly, right, this is a picture of the nation of Israel. God's chosen people and what they had become, and especially the temple. Another example, right? This is supposed to be the building of God. And yet, look, when you look at the temple and it, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, who oversaw the operations of the temple of God, they gave an outward appearance of great spirituality and devotion to God. But their lives proved to be hypocritical. Gentiles were denied the opportunity to come close to God. Gentiles meaning all those who aren't Jewish. They were denied opportunity to come close to God, being restricted to the outer courts. The poor were exploited by the money changers and merchants. Yet the temple itself, it looks so grand. There is so much buzz. There are so many people there. And that day at that time, the culture had grown big and impressive, this temple culture. But it was all a scam. And Jesus cursed them for it. Look at verse 14. There was no good news and no God to be found by those needing salvation. Those that were coming to the temple found no good news and no God. Once a beacon of light, it was now a faint flicker that was about to be extinguished. John chapter 1 verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John talks about the nation of Israel. He came to save the lost, which is his very own people, yet they rejected him. Brothers and sisters, we need to always ask this question of ourselves. Are we hypocrites? Are we hypocrites today? Do we go through all the religious actions and activities, yet, yet we don't have a relationship with the one and only living God? And we have no love for Jesus. There is no spiritual fruit being produced. Are we hypocrites? And see, here's the danger of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy always keeps company with self-deception. If you think about it, what does that mean? Hypocrisy always keeps company with self-deception. See, when we start to go down that road of sin, when we choose to reject God and disobey His Word, we begin to think that it's normal. We begin to justify our sin and think that, oh, it's all right. It's all right if I don't do that, God. It's all right if I... Look at, look at what everyone else is doing. It, it's okay, Hypocrisy always keeps company with self-deception. And then, right, if I, if I adopt the ways, the sinful ways of the world and everybody else is doing it and everybody else praises me for doing what I'm doing, yet it's in opposition to God's word, I start to not listen to God. I start to listen to everyone else. And I, I feel like, oh, life is good. What we're doing here is good. That's hypocrisy. That's sin. We think we are one thing when we are actually another. And Jesus curses hypocrisy. 
Look at verses 13 through 14. Jesus curses unfruitfulness. The prophets of old, they often spoke of Israel by a symbol of a fig tree. You see that in Jeremiah chapter 8. You see that in Hosea chapter 9. You see that in Joel chapter 1 or Micah chapter 7. And we see a great example here in Jeremiah chapter 8 verses 18 through 13. Verse 8 through 13. Jeremiah 8 verses 8 through 13. I want to read it to you. This is from the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, right? Years and years, hundreds of years before Jesus was born on the earth. But this passage stands out, and, and I wonder if Jesus was thinking this, because Jesus is the Word of God. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 8 through 13. How can you say we are wise, for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped, since they have rejected the Word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. Hmm. So Jesus sees a fig tree with no fruit, and he curses it. Right? He says, may no one ever eat from this tree again. Why did he do that? Well, obviously he's having a bad day, right? <laughs> Taking it out on the old fig tree. No, no, no. Why did he do this? He did this to teach us a lesson. He came to seek and save the lost. And so everything that Jesus did was for a purpose. He did this to teach us that fruitlessness now may result in fruitlessness later. What does it mean to reject Jesus? Have, have you guys ever thought about what does it mean to reject Jesus? Because some of us as Christians, right, we, we think that, I trust in Jesus, I'll never reject Jesus. I've already put my faith in Him as my Lord and Savior. He saved me. I never reject Jesus. I believe in Him. What does it mean to reject Jesus? What does it mean to turn away from Jesus? Well, it really means not to believe in him. Oh, Pastor Steve, I believe in Jesus. Do you trust him? Do you follow him? Do you take, do you take what he says in his word, his commands, and do you prioritize them? Is that your main purpose in life, to follow and to glorify God? Do we follow him? What does it mean to reject and to turn away from Jesus? It means not to care about his word. It means not to prioritize his word. It means not to live out his word. It means to just listen to the word and let it go out the other ear and do nothing with it. And James tells us clearly, right? Faith without works is dead. 
Faith without works is, is, is not faith in Jesus at all. Brothers and sisters, we must ask ourselves today, are we guilty of hypocrisy? Are, we, are our lives unfruitful, spiritually unfruitful, right? You guys know I'm not talking about producing fruit that you eat from your body. We're talking about spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control, all of those things and more. Are we producing spiritual fruit or are we just hypocrites? Secondly, what do we see? Jesus condemns the corrupt. He condemns the hypocrites and he condemns the corrupt. You know, on September 6, 15, the year 1520, Martin Luther wrote an open letter to the Catholic Pope, Leo X. And he wrote this. Listen to this. The Roman church once the holiest of all, has become the most licentious den of thieves, the most shameless of all brothels, the kingdom of sin, death, and hell. Wow. It is so bad that even Antichrist himself, if he should come, could, could think of nothing to add to this wickedness. Martin Luther wrote that letter to the Catholic Pope. In 1520. Look at verses 15 through 19. We see Jesus cleaning out the temple, right? Oftentimes we see that heading in our Bible. Jesus cleanses the temple. It kind of sounds nice, right? He, uh, but what he's really doing is condemning it. It's his response to the false religion it's the, his response to the hypocrisy and the corruption that is in the hearts of the people. And first, he deals with it. Look at verses 15 through 16. Jesus deals with our wickedness. And so he enters the, the outer courts of the temple. And what does he start to do? He wreaks havoc on those who, who are selling animals for sacrifice. And not only that, like he starts flipping the tables. He flips the benches. If there's ever a reason to flip a table, you can say, look, Jesus did it. No, please don't get that takeaway from, from what we're studying today. Not only did he flip the table so they would stop this sin of, of exploiting people and, and selling things at outrageous prices, but he blocked the pathway, the main pathway of the courtyard there. It was so that that was kind of like a shortcut for those wanting to get from one side of the temple to the other side. These people had no respect for God. They had no reverence for God. And if you think about think about the time and the setting of this. It's springtime. And people coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That celebration of old, right? When God showed His mercy and grace upon the people of Israel and saved them. The population at that time would grow ten times the normal size. Hundreds of thousands were there with no place to stay. But yet there, right, to bring their sacrifices to God, to worship God, to remember what God had done. And yet these religious leaders that were in charge of, of running things at the temple, these were the robbers. These were the thieves. They set these unbiblical standards on what was an acceptable to sacrifice. And they also price gouged those who wanted to purchase animals to sacrifice. So what do you see here? Extortion, 
You see bribery, you see greed, you see dishonesty, all in a place that was supposed to be God's place. A place that was supposed to be set apart, a place where God would dwell among his people. And here we see the high priest, the highest of high priests, Jesus Christ, washing away the sins of the people, driving out the wickedness of the temple. Oh, dear brother and sister, do you remember? Where is the temple of God today? Brother and sister, is there wickedness in you and I today? Look at Jesus here. Verses 17 through 19, Jesus is judging our, even our witness. Look at verse 17. He brings us, it brings us to the heart of our Lord's anger over what his temple has become. And he begins to teach them and quotes Isaiah 56, 7. He quotes Isaiah 56, 7, which says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Then he quotes Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. He quotes the Old Testament. The Old Testament, which all of the nation of Israel, these, his people would know full well, especially these religious leaders. Jeremiah 7, 11, but you have made it a den of thieves. And only Mark here includes the phrase for all nations. If you look at the other gospel accounts, only Mark includes for all nations, a house of prayer for all nations. God's temple is to be a house of prayer, a place of worship that attracts and blesses all nations, people from everywhere to the ends of the earth. Pastor John Piper, he puts it this way. Over and over, Jesus shows that the people of God will no longer be defined in an ethnic way. The new people that he is calling into existence is defined not by race or ethnicity or political ties, but by producing the fruit of the kingdom of God. This will mean a new global family made up of believers in Jesus Christ from every ethnic group to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, have you considered what your witness is today? What is it or who is it that you represent on a daily basis? Have you ever thought about that? What is the result of your witness and my witness? Are we bringing people into God's presence? Or do we obscure and hide it so that no one can find Jesus? The religious leaders here, they see what Jesus is doing. And what is their response? Jesus, forgive us. No, it's not. It's the opposite. Jesus, how dare you? They want to kill Jesus. They are outraged by what he's doing. And yet they have no backing to do so. By all accounts, by all the evidence, they should drop to their knees and ask Jesus to forgive them. But what do they do in their sin? Jesus, you should die. What are you doing, Jesus? Jesus would leave that day, right, in sadness and in grief. And he left to go home to Bethany and continue to teach, right, to save those that are lost. Jesus continues to teach. And that's why you see this change in here, right? He brings up the fig tree. He brings up the temple. And then what does he say? He talks about prayer and he talks about faith. Jesus challenges our faith here. 
Not only does he call out and curse the hypocrites and the unfruitful, which is all of us, if we don't see that by now, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have been hypocrites. Jesus challenges our faith. And it's a question of faith. Who or what is it that you really trust in this life? Do you trust Jesus? A missionary to South Africa, Andrew Murray, in the late 1800s and early 1900s said, Christ actually meant prayer to be the great power by which his church should, should do its, a great power by which his church should do. And it should not neglect prayer. Neglected prayer is a great reason the church has not greater power over the masses in Christian in non-Christian and heathen countries. The power of the church to truly bless rests on intercession, asking and receiving heavenly gifts to carry men. See, Mark concludes the fig tree and the temple story with lessons about faith, about prayer, and about forgiveness. The very things the people should have found in the temple, it was nowhere to be found, and Jesus talks about that now. You see, the fig tree event helps us interpret what was going on in the temple. Do you see that? You see the relation between the fig tree example and what was going on in the temple? Jesus did not just cleanse the temple. He cursed it. It had failed in the divine assignment and would be destroyed. That physical building, which was a house of sin, Jesus would allow it to be destroyed because it was not God's place. With no fruit, its use was at an end. God would remove it. Less than a generation it took for that temple to be destroyed in A.D. 70. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Jesus uses all of this as an opportunity to teach us some valuable spiritual truths. Now, the first one is this, and, and I want to invite Larry to come up and the worship team as we prepare to respond to God, but look at this truth. If you look at verses 20 through 24, dear friends, we need to place our trust in Jesus alone. It's my prayer, dear church, that it would always and only be Jesus for you, that you would always and only choose Jesus Look at what happened in verse 20. When they, they passed the fig tree the next day, what, was, what happened to it? It was dead. Some of you may be thinking, oh, that poor little tree. Jesus, how could you do that? That was a perfectly good tree. But do you not see that this is an example to us of lost souls dying and going to hell? And instead of weeping over a fig tree... We, I pray that our hearts break and grieve and that we weep over the lost souls that die and go to hell for eternity. May we never turn a blind eye or get used to people dying and going to hell. Our family members, our friends, may we never forget the urgency of the day that this life is only temporary. Jesus wept over the dead temple. He did not weep over the dead fig tree. Peter, right, he recognizes he's pretty 
observant. He recognizes what's happening, and he points out, Jesus, that's the tree you talked about. John chapter 15, verses 5 through 6, gives us a promise and a warning. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. Another pastor is quoted in saying this about this passage in Mark. He says, the questions of our spiritual fruitfulness is one of immense seriousness, which we ignore at our peril. Jesus means what he says. You see, Jesus responded to Peter in regards to that dead fig tree in verse 22. What's his response? Have faith in God, Peter. Have faith in God, brother and sister. The great missionary Hudson Taylor said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on Him. You see, that's what we need. We need God to, to humble us and open our eyes to the reality of our present situation. Because in this world broken by sin, we are weak and broken and in need of a Savior. Our destiny is hell apart from Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can save Jesus responded and said, have faith in God. See, when the things of this world fail, God is faithful. May our treasure and focus be always and only Jesus. May we choose every day and in every way to trust Him, always and only Jesus. Jesus uses hyperbole here, right? He, he's expressing the power of faith. As Brother Paul preached about and taught us last week, the power of faith. Jesus says, have faith in God. Faith begins when the impossible is desired. Believing faith taps into the power of God to accomplish what? His purpose. As you don't misunderstand this, this the passage, when, when Jesus talks about prayer, right? He says, to have faith that moves mountains. He's not saying, name it and claim it. I pray that this building would grow 10 times its size and that you'd fill it with non-believers and that next week that they'd all put their faith in Jesus and drop to their knees. Jesus is saying God's will, God will accomplish his plans. And if we are following Jesus and desire for his will to be done, anything we pray that is in alignment with his will and his perfect plan, it will happen. He will provide. He will give us everything that we need to do everything that he has called and created us to do in Christ Jesus. But it requires faith. What Jesus do you trust in? The Jesus that will just help you through school and help you in your job, help you to make it to retirement, help you to get through that physical ailment that you have. Those are all important. Those are all things that God allows us to go through or God gives us. But let us not forget the main thing. Jesus, always and only His Word, His purpose, His plan. Is that your desire today? Brothers and sisters, does Jesus need to clean out the temple today? 
Does Jesus need to clean out your heart and my heart today? Would you let him? Because you know what? The first step to being forgiven of your sin and, and to a clean heart is to trust Jesus as your Lord. Confess him as your master. To say that, Jesus, I need you to, to forgive me and heal me. And you know what, Jesus? I realize that you did die on that cross and rise from the dead. I realize that I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. And not only that, not just to save me so that I can just live it up and enjoy all that this world has to offer temporarily, but no, Jesus, I realize that this world is not the end. You created me for eternity. And you know what, Jesus? I want to follow you for the rest of eternity, eternity all the way to heaven. Brothers and sisters, would you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out? Would you pray with me? Now, missionary C.T. Studd, he said this, Some wish to live within the sound of a, a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within the yard of hell. Brothers and sisters, Northwest Chinese Baptist Church, we have a mission to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Will you be the temple of God? And as God dwells in you by faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, will you then live your life for Jesus, always and only, to the glory of God, that, that the nations will be saved. Dear friend, maybe you're here today, and God, I pray for my friend here today that, that maybe they see you are opening their eyes and they see the reality of who you are, and right now they realize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and they want to be forgiven of their sins, and they want to put their trust in you as their Lord, and know that they have the blessed assurance of eternal life with you. And so, God, I pray for my friend here that's, that has that desire right now. And I, I ask, God, that you would lead them to pray this prayer, to, to confess this with me right now and just repeat after me, that they would say, God, thank you for loving me. God, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, I believe that when I, I want to trust you with my life, I, I confess you, Jesus, as my Lord today. I want to follow you all the way to heaven. And God, if any of my friends just prayed that prayer, if they just made that confession with their mouths right now, God, I pray that you would encourage them and that they would know that, that right now their sins are forgiven and that you have given them new life, spiritual life in, in Christ Jesus. And they can walk out of here today with the hope of heaven and that you are with them, and that you have a, such an amazing plan for them to join you in your mission, God, to also help others to be saved. And yet, God, I also pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray, God, that you would help us to live out this life in faithful obedience to your word so that others may be saved and so that your greatness may be put on full display through each one of us individually and together through Northwest Chinese Baptist Church. God, that is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, would you, would you rise? We, we always like to give a time for you to respond to God. If God has led you to make that decision to put your trust in Jesus for the very first time, I want to invite you as we sing this song, come and share it with me so that I can rejoice with you and, and, and encourage you in your next steps with God. 
a brother and sister, maybe God, you realize that God has convicted you that, that you have some sin that you need to confess to Him and, and let Him forgive you and help you through it. Would you come and would you pray? Or would you come and allow me to pray for you? Maybe some of you, God is leading you to take that action step to go and to serve God and to be that witness of Jesus Christ that He's created you to be. Whatever that may, be, that may look like. Well, would you respond to God today? Would you respond with your life? Would you respond as we sing? encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to the other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.